Court Church. It is a wonderful and beautiful Sunday. We're so glad you're joining us for worship this morning. We want to pray for a zeal for the house of God. So why don't you worship with us? Let's lean in. Amen. This one thing I'm asking, one thing I'm needing, a moment that's passing is not what I'm seeking. Like it's the air I'm breathing, I want your presence, feet on the earth, all full of heaven, zeal for you, completely consumes me, I can't get it up, can't get enough of you, your fire burning right through me, I can't get enough, can't get enough of you. Sing it out. I'm after your spirit more than a feeling. I don't need a reason to keep chasing who you are. Like it's the air I'm breathing. I want your presence. Feet on the earth are full of heaven. Seal for you. Completely Yes. 
through every trial, through every tribulation, we lift his name high. So come come together with us, church, and worship with us this morning. Church, let's sing this out. I won't let.
pursuit of you yes. Yes. come and dwell in this place yes, Lord. come and dwell in this place the Lord bless you and keep you make his face shine upon you be gracious to you, Lord, turn his face towards you and give you peace. Yes. Mm-hmm. Lord, bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face toward you and give you peace. So we sing
fantastic be encouraged if you if you feel like this year already is not going the way that you wished it was be encouraged because God is on the throne and he is the God of the impossible so welcome to you if you're watching at home if you're watching outside um, here at our venue outside we're so happy that you're here today at Newport Church and I want to share some thoughts with you today from the Word of God this is my 21st year reading my one-year Bible cover to cover and I'm really excited about a new year because it's a new Bible for me. This is my fourth Bible because I wore the other ones out and already this year there have been three uh, three themes in the last few days that I wanted to share with you and one is from the Old Testament and it's a story of Abraham and Sarah and basically it was impossible for them to have children because they were so old, like Abraham, 100 years old, Sarah, Sarah, really old. And what I love about this is God is the God of the possible. Yes. 
He is the God who overtakes impossible and makes it possible. So I want to encourage you today, especially if there is an impossible situation in your life, to remember that the Bible says that He is the God who can overcome impossible. And the other theme I wanted to share with you today is from Matthew. And the Bible talks about so many different things, but one of the things I know that we share in common as human beings is the fact that we tend to worry. And I named my year this year peace. And I was thinking about the word peace. And, you know, for me, the opposite of peace is not necessarily war. It's actually worry because worry robs us of our peace. And the Bible says in Matthew that we should not worry about anything. And we should actually, in Philippians, says that we should pray about everything. So here we have the God of the possible. He is so able. We have the God who gives us peace, even when we have the tendency to worry. And the third thing I wanted to read to you today is that he is a God of perspective. And I read this proverb this morning, and I wanted to share it with you. Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6, and it says this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. There's no reason for us to be confused. When we need a different perspective because we don't understand what's going on, God says when we trust in him, he will show us which path to take. So I want to pray along those lines for you this morning. I want to pray for something that's, if something's impossible, for you to remember that God is the God of all possibility. If you need peace in your life because you're worried about things, and if you know, if you don't know which path to take and you need God to give you some perspective on your future, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for your word that just lights up our world and our life and gives us truth, Lord God, that we can rely on in such uncertain times. We thank you, Father God, that you are the same yesterday, today and forever. I pray for healing, Lord God, for people from the tip of their head to the soles of their feet. I pray for relational restoration, Lord God. I pray for financial breakthrough, Father. And I thank you, Lord, for your healing, blessing and protection over every person. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We're so grateful to God. How amazing is His Word and His promises. I'm going to hand over now to Pastor Jonathan. So give him a warm welcome as he comes this morning. Hi. Appreciate that. How are you doing? So glad that you could join us, whether it's online or outside. It is a beautiful sunny day. I've just been outside there with everyone who is worshiping with us outside. I want to encourage you, if you can, come and join us. Come and have a great cup of coffee. Connect with some people. We'd love you to, to join us. But wherever you are, we're so thankful for you joining us today. Today, we're on the eve of our 21-day reset. And I'm always excited about this 21 days of prayer and fasting because it's a time when we can make some course corrections in our life. How many of you know that 2020 didn't turn out the way we expected it to? The year kind of took us off on a different tangent. But one thing we can do is we can, from the way that we approach what is happening outside us, is totally changed when we are internally aligned to God, aligned to His purpose, and believing with Him for the very best, even in the difficult times and circumstances. So 
we, we have a 21-day devotional. It's going to be on our website, also on Instagram. I know some people are, uh, are fasting social media, uh, but uh, you can go onto our website and you can get our daily devotional with a word for the day, a video and a short written one. Just take a couple of minutes to connect so that we can all be on the same page. So uh, join us for that. We'd love you to be a part of that. Well, before I bring the message for this morning, I want to uh, take a moment for us to continue to worship God with our tithes and our offerings. And uh, on obviously, if you're watching at home on the screen, you can see where and how you can give. You can give online. If you're here with us we uh, and you want to give in person, there's a spot at the connect spot where you can give as well. Just a couple of thoughts. It's the beginning of the year and like my wife die every year at the beginning of the year I start with the book of Genesis and the book of Matthew and at the beginning of Psalms and Proverbs and I was reading recently just a few days ago about the first recorded offering in the Bible and it's it's a story about two brothers. One of the brothers name was Cain and the other brother's name was Abel. And it talks about the offering that they gave in Genesis 4. And it says, In the process of time, Cain brought an, an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. It speaks of uh, two offerings that were given. Why was, why was uh, Abel commended? It wasn't that, that Abel brought um, the first fruit of the flock, um, that he brought uh, a nice roast. Last night we had a roast leg of lamb. Don't know about you, but I love lamb, especially Australian lamb. And we had a, it wasn't that God preferred that and that Cable brought uh, vegetables and God wasn't pleased with vegetables. It was the place that that offering took in their own personal lives as they brought it to God. Uh, for Cain, it said he brought an offering. And for, but for Abel, it says that he brought the firstborn of his flock. In other words, he gave the best. He gave his best to God. And, and I believe that speaks to us about what the pattern of our giving should be, that we are giving God the best, not the leftovers, not what's left behind, not just an, as an afterthought, but actually as a part of our, our priority. There's an intentionality about our giving. And of course, the Bible talks about the tithe, the first tenth, talks about the first fruits of all the increase in our life. And I love what the book of Hebrews says about this particular uh, offering because the book of Hebrews speaks about the offering of Jesus, of his blood and his life for you and me and likens it to the offering of Abel. And so the book of Hebrews speaks about the efficacy of the offering of Christ. That means the effectiveness, the, the power of the blood of Christ to forgive our sins, to, to connect us to God, the sacrifice that He made, the offering, the supreme offering that He gave for us. 
but he likens it, the writer of Hebrews likens it to Abel's offering. And it says that the blood of Abel, though he is dead, yet speaks. And that wasn't just the blood of Abel that was spilled by his brother and that cried out from the ground to God. No, it was to do with the, the, the offering, the giving of that act of worship that still was speaking thousands of years after the event. And I firmly believe that what we give of our donations, our tithes and our offerings as we, as we build the church together, that what we give will still speak well after we have gone out into eternity. It will speak in the lives of those people that we're able to feed naturally, physically, spiritually, people who come to Christ and will have, a, have an encounter with Christ that will transform their lives, not just for time, but for eternity. Our giving speaks, and it will continue to speak in the lives of others. So I wanted to share that thought with you right at the beginning of this year. Let's not give an offering, a donation. Let's give the first. Let's give the best to God in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your grace and goodness. Thank you for everyone who gives today. Those who are those who out of their generosity are sowing into the lives of others, bringing food into your house so that we can be a storehouse and we can help people naturally, spiritually, emotionally in this time. And Lord, that your kingdom would come, that people's lives would be transformed because of the generosity of your people and the power of your word and your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much as you give love and appreciate you all greatly. Okay. Well, thankful for the worship team. Um, and uh, right now I'm going to get into the first message of a new series that I want to start for the new year. And the series is called Reset, Renew, Rebuild. Reset, Renew, Rebuild. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, this is a great passage of Scripture, says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. That's COVID-19 right there. A time to gain and a time to lose. And a time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. Well, I believe it's time for us as individuals and as a church to reset, to renew, and to rebuild. I think that we would all agree that 2020 didn't turn out the way we expected it to. I think it would be easy to think that our year got derailed, but I think it's better for us as a church and as followers of Christ, to look at it as 
our year was disrupted. Our year was disrupted, but not derailed. When I was a boy, I had an electric train set, and it was my, it was, I loved that electric train set. Every piece of all my pocket money and money that I was given for Christmas, I would collect and I would go out. It was a Hornby 00 electric train set, and I would, I, I would buy new pieces for that train set. I had it on a, on a laid out on a board, on a permanent layout with a, with a trap door in the middle that I could get in, and there were, there were tunnels and bridges and, and, and scenes, and uh, it was just, I loved, I would spend hours and hours uh, playing with that. And every now and again, the train would get derailed. And uh, I would have to crawl around and maybe come up through the trap door and reach out and put the train back on the track. And then I'd get back. Once everything had been reset, I was able to start again. And everything continued as normal. And so, for many, the, this year has had so many, so many twists and turns. And maybe you feel like it was derailed. But really, even though it may not have turned out the way we expected it to, if we approach what has happened as an opportunity for us to reset, we have not been derailed. God's purpose has not been derailed. His eternal purpose hasn't been derailed. God's purpose for your life has not been derailed. And as Ecclesiastes said, this is a time for us to reset, to renew and to rebuild. Obviously, if we look at the whole subject of, of, of renewing, um, the, the, there are many things that we need to reset and renew. I'm sure that in the disruption of 2020, it, it disrupted many of the patterns or habits of our lives. Um, I was looking at some of the statistics. Statistics show that right at the beginning of COVID that the average number of daily steps taken by people decreased by over 50%. Well, that's not surprising because we were in lockdown and our kids were stuck in front of a, a screen that they watched for hour after hour rather than being at school. And we spent more time looking at our screens than exercising. And of course, our diet has changed. Um, <laughs> during covid uh, during the last year, maybe, um, I, I think I kind of, you know, enjoyed the, uh, the food that, that we were eating, and, and my diet was, was probably not what it could have been or should have been, but it was like, hey, we've got our 21-day reset coming up, so I can attend to it there. Maybe your devotional life was disrupted, uh, even though it was a tough time, maybe, maybe, uh, the, some of the patterns and habits of your daily reading of your Bible and, and prayer and so on were disrupted. But it's a time to renew some of those patterns. It's a time to renew some of those things that maybe have got off track and off course. It's also a time to rebuild. Many of the structures of our lives have been, have been broken down. Our work schedules, our school or college schedules, our, our ability to meet in church, all of it's been changed. Face-to-face -face meetings, in group interaction, staring at computers hour after hour. We, we haven't been able to rub shoulders with people the way we did in the past. Even the way that we greet each other has been totally 
uh, totally changed. No more shaking hands. Maybe a a fist pump or an elbow bump or, or a wave from the distance. But it's a time to rebuild what's been broken down. The Bible makes it very clear that the enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. The enemy will always try to tear down and destroy whatever God is building, whether it's his kingdom, whether it's your life, whether it's your relationships, whether it's your divine purpose and destiny. The enemy is committed to tearing it down and to coming against you. But the good news is he that is in us is greater than our enemy. He that's in us is greater than the world. And we're not ignorant of the enemy's devices. We are aware of that, which is why there is an intentionality about our lives to reset, to renew, and to rebuild. And if we are wise, then we are going to be taking every opportunity we can at a time like this. It's a time to reset. At a time like this, to reset at the beginning of a new year, to renew what has maybe fallen away or dropped off in our life and that needs to be renewed, and then to rebuild what has been broken down. As we do this in our study and in our, as we look deeper into the Word, I want to take the books of Ezra and Nehemiah as the framework for this series. Ezra and Nehemiah are known as the restoration books, restoring what had been lost, resetting, renewing, rebuilding. They're the restoration books. And there are three restoration prophets who prophesied at that time alongside the events that took place. And that was Zechariah, Haggai, and Malachi. So those five books go together. The the historical books of Ezra and Nehemiah with the prophetical books of Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So in order for us to do that, this I'm going to create today a framework which we're going to dig into a little bit deeper. But it's important that we understand the background of what was happening at the time. And this was important not just for the Jewish nation, But I believe that these books are prophetic books that speak to us today in our day about what is happening in our world today. What has been broken down needs to be rebuilt. What has been derailed needs to be reset. And what has been lost needs to be renewed. And I believe they speak very specifically to us. And there are some great keys. Maybe in your Bible reading, you could take some time to read Ezra and Nehemiah over the next few weeks, as well as what you're already doing, because I know they will really speak to you. But here's the, here's the background to what had happened. The nation of Israel had been split in two under the reign of Rehoboam, Solomon's son. The northern kingdom separated, which was the ten tribes of Israel from the tribes of Judah and Benjamin who were in the southern kingdom. So the first thing that happened is as the people began to turn away from God, as they began to deviate from God's plan and purpose, the nation was split in two. That was step one of the dislocation that was about to take place because they neglected their spiritual life. 
we neglect our spiritual life to our peril. And this story is a story about how that happened to the nation of Israel. What happened then was that the northern kingdom was invaded by the Assyrians, and the, in 721 BC, the city of Samaria, which was the capital of the northern kingdom, was destroyed, and all of the peoples of the nation of Israel were deported and taken into exile to Assyria. This was what invaders in the ancient world would do. They would not only invade and occupy, but they would deport all of the people and then re-inhabit that land with other people who later became the Samaritans that we read about in the New Testament. So the northern kingdom was taken captive, 721 BC. About 150 years later, 586 BC, the Babylonians, who had become the next superpower after the Assyrians, they invaded and destroyed the city of Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, Solomon's temple, broke down the city walls, and took the whole nation of Judah into captivity. Amongst those were Daniel. Remember Daniel? He was one of those who was taken into captivity. And there they were kept in exile for 70 years until the 70 years were over and, and the time came, a divine, kairos, supernatural, God-appointed moment came when after the 70 years, it was time for them to reset, to go back to Jerusalem and start to rebuild the temple and rebuild the city walls. Babylon... Uh, and then, and, and, and this happened during the time of a king called Cyrus. What happened during those 70 years was the Babylonians, who had become the latest superpower, were defeated by the Persians. And so now the Persians became the superpower in that part of the world. And one of the, the king of the Persians was a man by the name of Cyrus. And uh, Cyrus, we read, I want to read, this is from uh, Elmer Mould wrote this, Cyrus was a born ruler of men. He inaugurated a new policy in the treatment of conquered peoples. Instead of tyrannizing over them and holding them in subjection by brute force, he treated his subjects with consideration and won them as his friends. He was particularly considerate of the religions of conquered peoples. The effect of this policy was to weld his subjects to him in a loyalty which made his reign an era of peace. Isaiah prophesied about Cyrus. So Cyrus is the king of the Persians. And when he becomes king of the Persians, he allows the Jews to return to Jerusalem to reset, to renew, and to rebuild. And Here's the interesting thing. Isaiah prophesied about Cyrus 150 years before these events took place. And he called him by name. And it's very important for us to, to, to know this because it speaks of the sovereignty of God. If ever you've wondered, is God kind of losing control of what's happening in the world today? Then we need to understand God is sovereign. Nothing of what has happened, 
Nothing of what will happen will ever take God by surprise. And we, we see that nations rise and nations fall, and God is sovereign over it all. And He uses the rise and the fall of nations. He uses the rise and the fall of leaders and individuals, leaders of nations and so on. He uses that for His divine purpose. So if you're worried at the moment and you think, I, I don't know whether, where things are going to go, it's okay. God is in control. God is sovereign. Of course, we need to live with wisdom. Of course, we need to live with faith. Of course, we need to make wise choices. Of course, we need to trust God. Of course, we need to be doing everything we can to build His kingdom and build His purpose. But God is in control. So 150 years before Cyrus existed, we read this. Um, Isaiah 44, I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by himself, who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of diviners, who overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it into nonsense, who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, here we go, it shall be rebuilt, it shall be inhabited. Of the towns of Judah, they shall be rebuilt, and of their ruins, I will restore them. Who says of the watery deep, be dry, and I will dry up your streams. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and I will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, Cyrus will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of, to subdue nations before him. Wow. That is an amazing passage of Scripture. Prophetic with such detail, naming Cyrus as the king of Persia, um, calling God, calling Cyrus his shepherd, and, and talking about how the nation of Israel would return to rebuild the temple and rebuild the city walls. And this was written 150 years before these events took place by Isaiah. So God calls his Cyrus, his shepherd. And in the beginning of the book of Ezra, when Cyrus, uh, God moves on the spirit of Cyrus to have the, the, the people return, this is what we read, Ezra Chapter 1. Are you following with me? Good. I can hear that resounding amen from there, from you in all your homes. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia. All the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me. He acknowledged that it was God who gave them to him. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And then he goes on to say, whoever is left in any place... Let them 
uh, provide free will offerings and so on so that the work could be established. And Cyrus even gave them back the articles from the temple that had been stolen by the Babylonians. So here we go. Ezra returns to rebuild the temple. Um, and three things I want us to note here. Number one, the, the reset was to go back to Jerusalem and reestablish Jerusalem as the center of the Jewish people, the spiritual center, the political center of their world, to reset Jerusalem as the center. The second thing was to renew two things, worship and the word, both of which had been neglected. The people had neglected their worship of God and then neglected their reading of God's word. And because of it, they had lost their way and they had become dislocated. And then thirdly, to rebuild the temple and the city walls. So those three things relate to us. And I want to talk about how they relate to us very specifically. Here's the interesting thing. Ezra built the temple first before the city walls. The walls were broken down. Walls of cities in those days were for protection. They were for defense. The natural order of things would have been, let's rebuild the walls first so that we have some defense and protection around us. Let's build the walls first, and then let's build the temple afterwards. But no, the spiritual order of things was, let's re- uh, God said, rebuild the temple first, and then build the walls after. And that's very significant because it speaks to us of the way God works in us when he is in the process of building us and building, we build our lives and, and gives us principles with which we can do that. First of all, the temple is a picture of uh, our spirit. The city of Jerusalem was the city, and the temple was at the center. The temple is a picture of our spirit. It's a type or spiritual picture of our spirit at the very center of our being. And God, the walls speak to us of our soul, our mind, our emotion, the walls that protect our thinking, the patterns of our thinking, the wall which is the the outer wall, which is our physical frame. So here we see when God created us, this is a picture of the way God created us. If you think of three concentric circles, in the middle of the, in the bullseye, at the very center of the circle is our spirit. And then in the next circle, the outer circle is our, our soul, which is our mind, our emotions, and our will. And then the outer circle is our physical frame. God created us spirit soul, and body. He created us to be spirit-led. He created us with our spirit to be what, what is the core process in our lives of helping us to connect with God and align our lives to God. Proverbs 20 verse 27 says, the human spirit is the lamp of the Lord that sheds light on one's inmost being. I love the, 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 the Passion Translation says, The spirit God breathed into man is like a living lamp, a shining light searching into the innermost chamber of our being. Our spirit is at the core of our being. 
God created us as spirit beings first, and, and that our lives should be spirit-led, not led by our flesh, not led by our, our intellect or our, uh, our minds, but by our spirit, first of all. Ephesians 2, 1, and, and he made, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where did God make us alive? When I accepted Christ, I was alive, but my spirit was dead. And when Jesus, uh, I accepted Christ as my Savior, my spirit came alive to God. And I became aware of a world and a dimension that I'd been unaware of. My spirit connected with God. And through that, my life began to be led by my spirit, not my flesh or my intellect. And then we read in Galatians 5.25, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What's Paul saying? Don't live by the flesh. Don't live keeping your life in in step with the flesh. Keep your life in step with the Spirit of God, being Spirit-led. And Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. We're created to be spirit-led. During this 21 days of prayer and fasting, I'm praying that we will become more sensitive in our spirit to the Holy Spirit and to God. And, And that through that, we will awaken in our lives, maybe things that have become a little bit dormant. So, The walls are our soul and our physical being, the walls of Jerusalem. They began with the Spirit first, and that's where God does the work of restoration in our lives. God begins where? With our spirit. It's our spiritual life where we connect with Him. So we begin with the Spirit. Then His work of restoration continues with our soul, our mind. We renew our minds. We 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 renew ourselves in God. And that's where David says, he restores my soul. He caused me to walk by the waters, the still waters, and lie down and rest in him. And then God's work of restoration is completed in our bodies. Uh, And God is interested in our body. In case you thought he's not interested in your body, he's interested in your body. He's so interested in your body that the Bible tells us that when the resurrection comes, we will be resurrected. Those who are alive will be caught up into the air with Christ, but those who have died and have been buried, those who went before us, they, their physical bodies, now I'm not even going to get into this because this is, a, <laughs> this is an amazing subject, the resurrection that that. Uh, Paul talks about and that the Bible talks about, we will be physically resurrected. So I'm telling you, when you go to heaven, you're going to recognize everyone. Whether you like it or not, you're stuck with you. But the fact is that when you're in heaven, you're going to have a glorified body and you are going to look amazing. So we should spend a whole lot more time on our spiritual life. Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. They lost everything, the Jewish people, because they ignored their spiritual life. And I want to close with these thoughts um, for you. I want to read. um, In fact, I'm going to read this next week. No, I'm going to read it now. This is the introduction to the book of Ezra by 
uh, Eugene Peterson. And it's amazing. He said, history had not treated the people of Israel well, and they were in decline. A superpower military machine, Babylon, had battered them, and then leaving their city and temple, a mound of rubble, hauled them off into exile. Now, 128 years later, a few Jews back in Jerusalem had been trying to put the pieces back together decade after weary decade, but it was not going well at all. They were hanging on by their fingernails, and then Ezra arrived. This is an extreme case of a familiar story repeated with variations in most centuries and in most places in the world. Men and women who find their basic identity in God, that's you and me, as God reveals himself in Israel and Messiah, don't find an easy time of it. They never have. They never will. Anyone identify with that? Their identity is under constant challenge and threat, sometimes by hostile assault at other times by subtle and smiling seductions. Whether by assault or seduction, the people of God have come perilously close to obliteration several times. We are never out of danger. Because of Ezra, Israel made it through. God didn't leave Ezra to do this single-handedly. He gave him substantial and critical help in the rescue operation in the person of Nehemiah whose work providentially converged with his. Nehemiah rebuilt the city walls after the temple. The people of God's identity was recovered and preserved. Ezra used, this is what I want you to pay special note to, Ezra used worship and text to do it. Worship and word. Worship and word. Ezra engaged them in the worship of God, the most all-absorbing, comprehensive act in which men and women can engage. This is how our God-formed identities become most deeply embedded in us. And Ezra led them into an obedient listening to the text of Scripture. Listening and following God's revelation are the primary ways in which we keep attentively obedient to the living presence of God among us. Ezra made his mark, worship and text, worship and word, worship and word, continue to be the foundational for recovering and maintaining identity as the people of God. Wow, that is amazing. Worship and word. And if I have a word for today, it's for this year and today and this year, it's bound up in this equation, this little equation that I put together. Worship and word equals God's presence. God's presence. Wherever God's presence is, you find God's power. And wherever God's power is, we find God's provision. What's the key to it all? Worship and word. What is the key for this next 21 days of reset? To reset in our worship and to reset in the priority of God's word in our lives. So often we try to start with the provision We cry out to God, I need your provision. If we could put that equation back up there again. So often we we, we cry out, God, we want your provision. We need your provision. But that's the the fruit of, that is the, the, the product of what comes first. What comes first is our... Uh, uh, the resetting of our lives to prioritizing worship, the renewing of the practice of worship in our life, the rebuilding of those things that maybe have fallen away, and of His Word, 
that worship and word are central. And I love that. Word and text continue to be today the foundation for recovering and maintaining our identity as the people of God. Let's worship God. Let's worship God together right now. We're going to worship God as we close this service. And as we worship God, I'm praying that you'll experience God's presence, God's power, and God's provision in your life in new and powerful ways. Sing, I'm not afraid. And I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend. Because the God of the mountain is the God of the valley.
God is the God who turns graves into gardens, who turns bones into armies, and who turns seas into highways. The greatest reset that any one of us can have is the day that we accept Christ as our Savior. That is the, that is the supreme reset. And if you've never done that, we want to give you an opportunity right now to accept Christ. You say, how do I do that? Well, it's as easy as resetting an electronic device Although it's to do with your heart and to do with your spirit, it's a simple act of accepting what Jesus did for you to reach out your hand, to open your heart, to accept the supreme sacrifice He made on the cross. You don't have to do anything other than to say yes to Jesus. He'll forgive you. He'll wipe your slate clean. He'll give you a fresh start. He'll cause your spirit to come alive to Him. You'll start to live from your spirit rather than your flesh. You'll start to live with a fresh and new authority. And you'll know that you have a confidence that you have received the gift of eternal life. That when you go out into eternity, you'll be with Jesus and your loved ones who've gone before you because of what Christ did. Let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus. I ask you to forgive me. I open my heart and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I believe I'm a new creation. All things have become new. I will never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How awesome. If you, if you prayed that prayer on our screen, on your screen, going up, some ways that you can connect with us and we can help you to take the next steps in your Christian walk. We can help you to journey in your walk with God.
to come into a place where you continue to grow, knowing His love, knowing His Spirit, knowing His guidance and leading. And we want to do everything we can to help you to do that. Amen. As we close, I want to highlight five things that we can do over this 21-day reset. Everyone will has maybe some different things that you have, different kinds of fasts, different kinds of, 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 of things that you're going to initiate. Five things I think that we can all do that align with God's Word, just back to the basics. Number one, take time to pray. I mean, not just when you're running out the door, God help me today, but take time, put time aside. Now, maybe you're not someone who prays for an hour a day, uh, but the reality is you can put five minutes aside intentionally, purposely to stop, to listen to God, to pray to Him, 10 minutes, whatever it may be, 15 minutes, half an hour. Make it intentional. Second thing is, read God's Word every day. Hey, if you get behind in your one-year Bible, it's not, God, you know, the sky's not going to fall in. Just read a little bit more the next day. Read God's Word. Thirdly, um, be a part of a weekend service so that we're all on the same page with the Word, because I really feel that Word has got something for us as a church, whether it's online, whether it's here, be a part of it weekly. If you miss it, you can catch up with it on podcast or watch the service at a later time. Be in the Word. The the other thing is, um, take time um, in your, uh, to to give, and, and make giving a part of your a, a, a part of your daily life and a part of your routine so that when we give out of that generosity that God will continue to pour back his provision and resource in our lives. Um, and the fifth one uh, was uh, worship in there, which came before. But take time to worship God. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've got to tell you at home, I'm banned from singing. I start singing and everyone starts telling me to quieten down because obviously that's not my primary gift and it doesn't bring peace to, the, to everyone. So I'm, but, but, you know, in your own, in the shower, in your own time, you can worship God. Tell God, I love you. I worship you. I, I'm so thankful for you, Lord. You're awesome. So, so so love you, the one who has never failed me, the one who's never forsaken me, the one who's always there, my true friend, my God, my Savior, my Lord, my King. Let that be your confession. Take time to worship God. Take time for that to pour out of your life. I want to pray for you. We've gone a little bit longer than normal. You can blame me for that, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person here today. I pray for fresh grace and favor on each one. Help us to draw closer to you, Help us to draw draw closer to each other. And may our 21-day reset be a time time of breakthrough, be a time when you work supernaturally in each one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed. May the Lord bless you, keep you. May, May he cause his face to shine upon you, to be gracious unto you, and to give you peace now and evermore. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 God bless you. See you next weekend.